3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. Good morning, listeners. You are on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it is... Oh my gosh, we're in December. It's the 7th of December. Good morning, Inez. Good morning, Spike. Morning. Morning. Good How morning. are you going? And just quickly, Vale Shane McGowan. Uh, we just heard the Pogues. Yes. So he passed away recently, oh, really? which was really sad. He had a long he had a long struggle with illness. Yeah, he's lived a pretty full life. Mm. He's incredibly ta- the Pogues were an inter- incredibly talented band. And for I guess for people who want to identify, you know, like punk rockers, the whole the, the Irish folk yeah. punk thing and the heart and the spirit in their music was he, he was a great rock, you know, like uh, lyricist. And so, yeah, Vale. And sorry, quickly, um, the passing of Nelson Mandela. That's right. It's the um, anniversary. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was the 19th anniversary. So, Vale, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Far out. Two legends. Yeah. I also ha- I haven't, I haven't listened to the Pogues since high school. Um, Great band. But yeah, um, it is, my goodness, we're coming up to the end of the year and um, it feels... It feels kind of ridiculous that things uh, appear to be winding down for for many folks when there's still so much going on, when, you know, the genocide is continuing in Gaza. And so I guess a lot of what we're going to be talking about today really focuses on taking action and, um, you know, how we can continue to stay in the fight. So, Spike, do you want to take us through what we've got first up? Yeah, yeah. So, and and Sunday was amazing, by the way. I, I was able to get, it was, if you guys were there, it was an amazing yeah. afternoon, really good weather and just an amazing spirit. Yeah. It is. Actually, I was saying to a friend um, the other day, it's also just really nice to hear Arabic spoken in public. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Which, yeah. And yeah, I think if, as it's happening, I know that a lot of people might be you know, maybe losing a bit of hope or maybe feeling a bit of grief. But, you know, Gaza and Palestine really, we owe them our endurance and resilience. Mm. And, yeah, I just wanted to leave it with that. And yeah, just quickly on that is it's like if we – the alternative to not feeling the pain of what's happening there is to be numb and yeah. we don't – it's not a good place. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, the first – excuse me. <coughs> the first thing – so today we'll hear the third instalment of my conversation – of the three-part conversation with Ian McIntyre from the Common Social Change Library. <coughs> Sorry. Last week, Ian talked about the resources available at the Common Social Change Library, who uses them, and the importance of history in developing campaigns to address – or, I guess, analyse what how we are now in the present um, and, and the future – um, in the final part of my interview with Ian, we'll talk about some of the social for- forces that work against um, being able to recognise and acknowledge our radical he- uh, heritage and history. Um, what was I the importance of crafting counter-narratives to communicate and raise awareness of our activist and critical culture. Uh, and also, 
also what's really important is that the the tools available at the CSCL are available to people of all backgrounds and all abilities. So that's really important to them. Um, and you also talk about how it's uh, the, how the Common Social Change Library provides what Ian called movement infrastructure. Mm. So I guess it's like having some sort of um, uh, structure in place. Then when people are thinking of taking something on, there's there's resources available and some sort of guide guidelines and direction. So that so it's. It's, it's important that everyone feels comfortable in doing this stuff, yeah? Mm-mm. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, and so, yeah, that's, um, yeah, so movement infrastructure and a place where information and tips can be safely deposited and shared by all to build strong movements for, for change. Amazing. I mean, yeah. over the past three weeks, I've also increasingly been like, I need to access the Common Social Change Library because I think so many of us are now moving into organizing spaces where we're like, how do we use the skills and abilities that we have and also develop new skills and learn from the history of organizing in the place that we're at to actually take action about things like um, – you know, settler colonialism in Palestine. Yeah. Uh, now, you've also got another interview. So we're also speaking to um, Sue Bolton from, from the Socialist Alliance Councillor about a demonstration that's being held this weekend. Um, it's in relation to the knocking, the announcement by the state government that the 44 um, towers are going to be knocked down. So she's going to fill us in about what's happening um, on the weekend. And also... The rescinding of so the Maribyrnong Council passed a motion supporting peace and justice, which is like an awesome thing. Why would you rescind that? So she's going to be telling what that means, what it actually means to rescind a motion, um, and why. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be very keen to hear it. I'm sure a lot of Maribyrnong residents would be keen to hear about that as yeah. well. Oh, absolutely they will. And next up we have Dr. Lena Goliath, who is an academic and activist who is here to chat about the Institute of Postcolonial Studies, which has been a cultural and educational hub in Nam for over 25 years. And Lena will talk about the importance of the space and what solidarity means for them. And there's also a call to action. There's an open meeting happening today on Thursday the 7th of December at 7 p.m. Yes, that's right. Uh, we'll both be there, and I hope that uh, <laughs> I hope that other folks will join as well. And finally, we are joined by Independent Senator for Victoria, Lydia Thorpe, to unpack her push in Parliament to implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, or UNDRIP, in Australian legislation. This is an effort that was ultimately undermined yesterday in yesterday's majority vote against her private member's bill by Labor and Coalition parliamentarians. So we're going to talk a bit about the importance of legislating UNDRIP and, um, you know, uh, what this means also in the context of the referendum, uh, which, you know, recently also failed. Um, Senator Thorpe is a Gunai Gunajamara and Jaburong mother, grandmother, activist and politician, and she is the first Aboriginal senator from Victoria. And we are very, very grateful to her for making the time and for always making time for 3CR. Um, Really, really love when you know, people in public office recognize the importance of community media and Senator Thorpe is, is just very much, you know, always connected and tapped in and accountable to the grassroots. And I think it's been a really important part of her work in Parliament. So we might head to a CSA and we will come back to you with headlines. <laughs> What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. 
The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them. This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR. And we are back on Thursday Morning Breakfast, and these are the news headlines for Thursday the 7th of December. The federal government has joined with the opposition to vote down a motion for the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples to be enshrined in Australian law. Independent Victorian Senator Lydia Thorpe, a Jaburong, Gunai and Gunajamara woman, introduced the bill to Parliament in early 2022. And after almost two years, the bill has been rejected. The United Nations Declaration outlines the minimum standards for First Peoples' rights and would require the federal government to take measures to ensure consistency between Australian law and the Declaration. The government signed on to the Declaration on Indigenous Peoples' Rights in 2009, but 14 years later, it continues to fail to meet international obligations. In the wake of the vote, Senator Thorpe said, quote, Today, our people have yet again been let down by a colonial government, even when we're putting the solutions right in front of them. Once again, our value as people and as first peoples of this land is being diminished, end quote. Professor Chelsea Watigo, Mananjali and Yugambeh woman, an executive director of the Karamba Institute at Queensland University of Technology, said, quote, The continued denial of our rights by those who have the most to gain reflects a steadfast commitment to the continuing violence of settler colonialism and absolute indifference to Indigenous lives and lands, end quote. Also in headlines, in recent weeks, Mary Beck Maribyrnong and Dandenong councils have supported motions condemning Israel's war crimes in Gaza and calling for a permanent ceasefire. But this week, we have seen a recession motion in Maribyrnong and a slew of refusals from local councillors to support condemnations of Israel. Geelong Council CEO is refusing to allow Socialist Alliance councillor Sarah Hathaway to table a ceasefire motion for discussion, saying it would incite violence. Bayside and Inner West Labour councillors have either refused to support or rejected Greens councillors' ceasefire motions. Councillors leading the motions condemning Israel say people have been turning to local governments because of Labour's refusal at state and federal levels to even consider calling for a permanent ceasefire. As governments remain silent, Israel continues to ramp up bombardment of central and southern Gaza and massacring more than 15,000 15, Palestinian civilians in the past two months. Israel is blocking telecommunications and humanitarian aid, including food, drinking water, medicine, fuel, needing to power generators as hospitals are on the verge of collapse. In other news this week, the federal government has proposed the 
um, introduction of a preventative detention regime that would see migrants and refugees subjected to parallel legal system that seeks to imprison them for crimes they may commit in the future. The Human Rights Law Centre and Asylum Seeker Resource Centre have condemned the regime, which is being hurriedly introduced to patch up gaps in legislation, which was rushed through Parliament early last month, after the High Court ruled indefinite immigration detention is unlawful. The proposed regime will mean people affected by the High Court's decision can be detained or be subject to restricted supervisory conditions based on whether the Minister for Immigration desired there is a, quote, unacceptable risk, end quote, and the person will commit a crime in the future. Ooh, sorry. Uh, finally in headlines. Pub- oh, Ooh, sorry. sorry. It was my turn. <laughs> <laughs> we really stuffed that up. Sorry, listeners. Um, in other news, Muradjuria traditional custodians have condemned federal approvals for seismic blasting and drilling in the Bar Peninsula. In what is being described as a breathtaking regulatory scandal, federal offshore oil and gas regulator Nopsima approved Woodside Energy's environmental plans to start drilling over the weekend, just two months after the federal court threw out the previous seismic blasting approval due to inadequate cultural heritage consultations with Murujaga custodians. Marutunara woman and Murujaga traditional custodian Raylene Cooper said she is heartbroken that the government's continue to allow Woodside's Borough Pub to destroy sacred rock art, songlines and precious marine sanctuaries. Finally, in headlines, um, public housing residents, councils and community campaigners are fighting the Victorian government on its plans to demolish um, the 44 high-rise public housing estates. The Socialist Alliance councillor for Mary Beck Council, Sue Bolton, said the state government, state government have not provided evidence for claims that the, that the flats are past their use-by date and are presenting the plans as a done deal with no consultation. Councillors and campaigners warn that demolitions will exacerbate the housing crisis and that displacing tenants will tear, tear communities apart. The Save Public Housing Collective is calling on local councils, councils to back the campaign and, and oppose the demolition of the estates and forced relocation of tenants. These have been the news headlines for Thursday the 7th of December. You're listening to 3CR. The Victorian government is demolishing Melbourne's public housing flats, displacing 10,000 people during a rental crisis, growing homelessness and a wait list of over 120,000 people. The state government is selling off people's homes and breaking communities apart, forcing people into unstable, unregulated, privately run community housing is not a solution. Join us for the National Day of Action to Save Public Housing. 1pm, Saturday, December 9th, Victorian State Library. Save Public Housing Collective is a 3CR supporter. Okay, so we're back. And so, yeah, um, the, the next, the next um, interview you'll hear is the third um, installment of a three-part conversation I had with Ian McIntyre from the Common Social Change Library. So yeah, today we were discussing. Um, yeah, in the final part, we, we're talking. We'll be talking about the social forces that work against being able to acknowledge our radical history and heritage. So I guess 
yeah, like that's not commonly talked about. Like even Mandela's and was really um, on the down low, and, and so his his life and his work is a real example of what you know taking on the system and apartheid. So as a, I guess when I think about social change, I think about people like Mandela. Yeah. So yeah, we talk about um, yeah crafting um, social narratives that that counter the dominant um, narrative. Um, and the importance of, of making these resources and tools available to people of all backgrounds and all abilities. Yeah, and yeah, and the importance of the Social Change Library, just like 3SR, being a place where people can talk about, um, can learn and talk about um, strategies and campaigns to address social injustice. So have a listen. So what do you think are those forces working against us remembering that change is possible and that yeah that that's it's part of who we are. Yeah, well look I think part of it is 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 narratives and again there's that that kind of narrative that change comes from above not not from below you know yeah. that's enlightened elites or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um good point. I think you know obviously there's uh, at time well can't get into a huge discussion about culture and ideas, but, but there's certainly times when corporations, politicians, people who have power spend a lot of time crafting narratives that, that suit them. And, and one of those narratives is, yeah, you know, there is no alternative, there's no you know, way to change things. So, so I think, and you know, coming back to you know, one of the things we try to do at the Commons um, library is to share resources about well how can you recraft those narratives so you know you, you have to sort of identify well what is this powerful idea that's, that's an holding, amazing resource uh, though, uh, that's uh, yeah fantastic. holding us back and then what how can we basically um, craft narratives that say there is a different way you know and obviously that that that's not an easy thing so I think that's that's a significant force is that yeah. you know we need to be able to come up with messages and then we have to deliver them and get them to people. And coming back to history again, there's this idea, I, th I think it's mainly a term used in the union movement, but of hope stories. So preferably the more recent, the better often, but, you know, old ones are good too. They're very saying, good with that sort of stuff, the yeah, union movement. Of saying, okay, well, these people who weren't in such a different situation as you managed to organise, fight back, and they won something. So... You know, it is worth the sacrifices and and the hassle. And again, part of that is also, I guess, you know, trying to be a bit strategic and and sort of look at whatever situation and go, well, you know, what it, what is the way out of this that we can convince people that that it's effective? I guess in terms of more sort of broadly or, or thinking about, you know, what we've tried to achieve through through doing the library is you know i mean it takes time and resources and you know we don't have a lot of that but but we can sort of help support people to write about their experiences to to share what they've got to say about you know this this worked for us um and by cr sort of creating this website and having this place you know one it gives people somewhere to bring that knowledge and and then you know a place for people to come and Get it, and you know, I mean, three CR does a does a similar thing, you know, in terms of having this alternative outlet, this alternative source for information. And you know, we try to put a lot of work. I think another block can be around language and accessibility and that that sort of stuff. So you know, trying to have the information in as many different formats as possible, 
encouraging. Not all of our um, contributors, just like on 3CR, necessarily talking language that's easy to understand or kind of get away from the jargon, but yeah. but trying to have materials in language that you know, you don't need this kind of specialist knowledge. It's, you know, changing the world is not, you, you know, you can specialise in it, but it, it doesn't need specialists to do it. We all need to do it. So are you guys aware of what people are using the, the social change library for? Like what issues? Yeah, so I guess there's there's not so much, well, you know. Or we what get, areas? Like, yeah, we, we, we get sort of, um, I guess, informal feedback, you know, so, so, so there's, Ways that we can sort of, you know, look at our statistics and go, this many people here or there, but you know, that doesn't tell us much about how they're using it. Um, it's pretty broad from the from the, um, you know, informal feedback. We've got a project happening at the moment. I, I'm not totally involved with this, but it's happening out of University of Queensland, and there's sort of a, a thing where when um, students finish a postgraduate degree, they can try and solve a practical problem. So one of the problems we put to them was what are the gaps in our collection? Because we can talk to people, but unfortunately at the moment we don't have the resources to, you know, and we do surveys and so forth. But, you know, it's, it's a constant question of trying to realise, you know, what's out there. So, I mean, one of the ways we, we try to, I guess, respond to people's needs is one, when people directly tell us, like, we want to hear more about this, or when people come to us and go, you know, like we had somebody uh, in the last year or two come with and said, I've got a resource about um, naming a group, you know, giving finding a name that everyone's happy with, but also a name that, you know, is representative and, and works. And I was like, fantastic. That's that's a gap that, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, that, that, hadn't, hadn't necessarily, we didn't think, of, you know. Um, so, yeah, people come to us with stuff. I mean, we also sort of watch where the movements are going and what's happening. So, you know, for instance, during, uh, you, you know, the lockdowns and COVID, we ran sort of a series of articles about the history of, I guess, how people had, protested and taken action in ways that you know could be socially distanced you know and you could and you could do now um i guess with what's currently you know happening in palestine and so forth we've been running various social media things about how, how do you write a letter of support how can your organization sort of do that in, a, in an effective respectful way you know so we do try to respond to what we see happening out there and yeah so we we do get that feedback uh as well and it seems to be very very kind of broad um, so you, you don't get a flavor for what people are most unhappy with you, oh, you in terms of, of uh, issues, what they want to change, like what is what is the thing that's. Oh yeah, no, very. That's very, okay. very varies a lot. Um, you know, depending. Yeah, obviously, some things come to the fore, and then you have got people who are who are grinding away. I mean, another collection that we added uh, this year, we did a making advocacy accessible collection, and that was partially in response to you know what we could see, but also what we're hearing from people. And that was, on the one hand, it was important to kind of raise up stories and information about how people with disabilities, what campaigns they've run and what they can do, but also how can, um, you know, movements and organisations that aren't focused on those issues... Support. uh, Yeah, and be more accessible and and kind of, um, you know... and. So we've added resources about that. I'm not saying, you know, we've got the last word on any on any of that, but we've built up a collection that sort of helps with that. And we've, you know, built up a collection, for instance, with some easy read um, documents, which is 
sort of um, very plain language, um, you know, that, that people, anybody who has um, difficulties with reading or reading English can use? It's, yeah, I think it's a massive, this whole area is that there's a massive gap and so it should be it should be part of like um, educational um, curricula, I guess. I mean that would be awesome, and and there's certainly um, teachers out there who who uh, do talk about social change, and you know um, now and then we do see like a sudden hotspot of use of of certain of our resources and we um our sort of design web person's pretty sure often right a school's using it because you know, yeah. to sort of have 30 or 60 or 90 people all looking at this web page at the same time it's probably a school and we do again you know informal feedback is that some of our historical stuff you know it gets used so there's there's some going on out there but yeah obviously yeah we yeah what a what a great society would be if uh, if if what you just described you know it wasn't just here's all these terrible things happening yeah. but here, here's these terrible things oh let's focus on these people who are doing good you know something about it rather than only doing that in a sort of outrage you yeah. know oh it's con- controversial or whatever you know you shouldn't have to be going to university to to be engaged in social change and and to be talking about what social change means. No. It should be something that we talk talk about every day. And and I guess my next question was, do you think? And I think I know what your answer is going to be. Do you think there's enough time and resources gone 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 in to talking about the importance of social change and what what that means to us? Why do you think there aren't more resources? And yeah, well, okay, that's another that's another big one. <laughs> but uh, look, there's definitely. Or do you think Pe- there's, there's enough definitely pe- periods and and sections of society where that's less true at times? You know, when there is more momentum towards change, like in the '60s, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Or even you, you know, and that, and that can be prodded by different things. Sometimes it's 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 in response to you know. If we look at the 30s depression, you know that was a really you know, super negative event. Um, but out of that, um, you know, there was a lot of resistance and so forth. And you know, coming out of World War Two, they knew that you know the people with power and resources they couldn't go back. You know, people weren't going to cop it for various reasons. And I guess this is this is one of the things um, in, in a small way that we're trying to fill. Um, and again, I think you know, three CR does this too. Is is having some of that some movement infrastructure in yeah. place so that you know people can come somewhere and hear what the latest is about what's going on in the case of 3CR um, or like okay we need to do this thing in our campaign okay here's here's some resources about ideas about how we can fundraise or you know so that we can free up some time or we can hire someone in who can just go flat stick you know on this so you know that's that's kind of that that thing that we're trying to contribute too is is you know and i think for healthy movements is when you do have sort of an infrastructure and i think one of the things if if we're looking at the 60s and 70s was that there was a really big and healthy union movement it kind of died off you know it's still around of course and it still contributes resources and so forth but when it was much bigger it had a lot more (laughs) a lot more to give and a lot more solidarity to add so i mean movements are always going to need more time and resources you know we're we're not in charge of society so we're we're unlikely you know to, to ever be able to match our opponents in terms of you know money and and so forth so they're sort of got a, a position of strength but 
you know, we can overcome those deficiencies by by bringing people together, by recruiting well, you know, and by skilling up. So, yeah. I guess ultimately we the, the people, working people have that. We could stop. Like things would just stop. Yes. If people just, I guess it's just building that sort of coalition and that understanding of what we're stopping for. But we could stop this, I guess. And if people didn't join the military, there'd be no military. I guess ultimately... Uh, some uh, some um, age-old... Uh, <laughs> it's not particularly... <laughs> questions there. Yeah. But, 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 you know, and, and again, you know, the great thing is lots of people have got lots of experience and they've put a lot of thought into this. And, um, you know, we can learn from them. I mean, I think in recent decades there's been a bit more of a possibly a bit more oh no there's been other times too i think again when movements are are healthy is when they do do a lot of internal education and training and and kind of taking some time to sort of think about stuff not not sort of acting from their just from their political instincts i mean that's important too but you know having that kind of nurturing culture and and where we kind of think about stuff. So, um, yeah, how can we connect up with other movements? How can what we're doing build capacity, you know, like yeah. so that we don't, you know, we've got a section on well-being in, uh, you know, on the comments. Like how do yeah. we not burn out? But but not just in a kind of individual like, you know, how can I look after myself, but how kind of more healthy movement yeah. so that, you know, there'll always be setbacks, but, you know, hopefully we can go from strength to strength rather than sort of... Um, what often happens, crisis. which is, yeah, crisis <laughs> to crisis, or, oh, we've won, oh, bugger, let's just, yeah, I'm so knackered, let's all just go home yeah. now, you know, so. so. how can people get behind, thanks for your time, by the yeah, way, no, is, I've really it. enjoyed this conversation, yeah, man, it's been an awesome conversation. How can people get behind the Common Social Change Library or support it or donate or, yeah, yeah so look. Get I, involved. I guess, I guess. The, Do you have any classes? <laughs> yeah, so I guess the first thing is, um, is at commonslibrary.org, um, you know, and check out the website there and, you know, go down a rabbit hole and learn, <laughs> learn about a bunch of things or, or help solve, uh, you know, some, some, yeah, look for some answers or whatever. Um, we are, yeah, people can donate uh, to, the, to the website. We've got a sort of regular program where people give every month and then we also sort of people can donate any time and we're uh, to where like where do they donate to uh, so if they go to commonslibrary.org okay. and sort of follow the about there's there's information about that and, and you know luckily we've got tax deductibility so that's you know a bit of a sweetener or whatever other ways they they can help is um you know use the website that's the main thing keep growing movements share that it exists with people yeah we really love contributions and, you know, within our own time and capacity, we're, we're happy to help people with that. We're certainly there to publish people's stuff. So there is somewhere where you can, you know, share this stuff. You know, if your organisation, you know, we, we've had quite a few organisations basically sort of, you know, do a lot of training over the years and then go, oh, we've got all this training stuff, you know. Well, where can, shall we create our own website? Well, you can do that or you can give it to us and we'll, we'll help share it. And that was the final in the three-part conversation with Ian McIntyre from the Common Social Change Library. And it's an amazing resource that's available to people from all backgrounds and abilities. It's really user-friendly. Um, so, yeah, check them out. I believe if you www.commonsocialchangelibrary, uh, uh, Common Social Change Library, um, yeah, check it out. Also, um, just a reminder that Ian McIntyre has co-edited a book 
about drinking, about drinking beer, I guess. It's called Knocking the Top Off, a people's history of alcohol in Australia. It's the who, what and where and why of intoxication. And it's being launched this Saturday afternoon at 4pm at the John Curtin Hotel, which has a pinball machine, by the way. So it's a, it's a good place to have a drink. Okay, immediately I'm like, I want to go. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and the panel that's going to be launching the, bo- the book includes Gary Foley, who's a pretty, that's pretty amazing, Julie Kimber, Jeff Sparrow, and Alex Etling. The book can be purchased at 3CR, Resistance Books, the New International Bookshop, and Brunswick Bound. Bound, sorry. And online on Interventions Publishing. So, yeah, check it out. Amazing. Thank you so much. We might uh, head to another CSA. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. And now we're going to go to a bit of a fun track. It's an Arab synth disco track called Disco Dalanya by Toot Ard. And it's a really gentle dance track about dancing and partying and meeting someone that reminds you of your homeland. And yeah, let's have a little listen to that. Shoo, 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 shoo
And that was Disco Dolonia by Toot Ayad. And it's a really gentle dance track about dancing and partying and meeting someone that reminds you of their homeland. And... Trans Family is a not-for-profit organization providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family, and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation, and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. Uh, just a reminder for listeners, by the way, if you want to hear some excellent uh, new music coming out of the Middle East, I recommend tuning in to 3CR's Salam radio show. So here we go. This is a little bit more about how to tune in. Salam Behamegi. This is Jahan Khonlu from Salam Radio. Tune in 4 to 6 p.m. every Sunday on 3CR for a wide selection of modern music from the greater Middle East and beyond. We feature guests both locally and internationally based to help bring new sounds to you. For more information, please follow our Instagram at Salam Radio Show. So tune on in. What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza, who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege, are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them. This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. 
APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR. This summer, wildlife are feeling the heat of climate change. Wildlife becomes stressed and unwell in hot weather and every summer Wildlife Victoria receives tens of thousands of calls for wildlife assistance. You can make a positive difference to the future of wildlife by donating to Wildlife Victoria. Your donation will help us rescue and care for heat affected native animals. The future of wildlife is in your hands. Donate to Wildlife Victoria at wildlifevictoria.org.au Wildlife Victoria is a 3CR supporter. Hey Sue, how you going? Hi, all good, all good. I'll take your off loudspeaker. Oh, I, yeah, th- I good. think that helps. Yeah, yeah, that, I'm back now. Yeah. I, so, morning, Sue. How are you going? And also, tell us about the stop the demolition. Um, yeah, on the Forty Four Towers National Day of Action. Well, we've got our first rally this coming Saturday afternoon at one p.m. And the main, it's part of a national day of action. There are actions happening all over Australia, including in Sydney. And Sydney will have a bit of the same sort of focus as Melbourne because they're trying to stop demolition of high-rise public housing flats there as well as we are in Melbourne. But in Melbourne, the threat is even more dire because uh, Daniel Andrews' parting shot before he resigned as Premier was to say that the government was going to bulldoze all 44 high-rise public housing flats in Melbourne, across Melbourne from Flemington and Collingwood and Richmond and all over. Um, Now, he's trying to claim that they're not destroying public housing, but this will be the death knell to public housing if they get away with it. And what we believe is this, by we I mean the Save Public Housing Collective, is that really this is all about handing over inner city land to developers for mostly private development. I, I, I agree. I agree with you, Sue. I think I think you're on the money. I think the um, the, Nash, the the public the public housing collective, uh, yeah, is is right about that. Tell us a bit more about the collective. Well, the collective has been going for. Some a number of years, and I haven't been involved in it all of that time. I've been to the odd meeting over the years, but uh, I really got involved after the announcement to destroy these public housing estates. And initially there was a massive number of people who got involved. And, you know, gradually I think the collective sort of people have started to come together and starting to develop some, you know, people who are ongoing activists who are very committed to this issue. Yeah. So it's um, it's probably a little bit of a newer crew who are in the um, Save Public Housing Collective now, along with some people who've been involved for a long time. Okay. So what's the goal? Like, is there a... Nece- like, what, what the, the goal of the gathering on Saturday, is it to ad- address... Like, what about what are our next steps? Yeah. Yeah, it's designed to put, start to pull people together yeah. because we want to start to demonstrate to the government that both tenants of, um, of the high-rises want to save their homes, plus there's a broader community 
that wants to join the fight with them because we need a whole of community response to yeah. save the flats. And we've had already a very successful meeting of tenants on the Flemington estate. There are three estates that are targeted first to go. Well, actually five, yeah. but two of them are already empty. So the other three that have got people in them is um, Flemington and North Melbourne. Which which ones are empty, Sue? So there's two in on the Carlton Estate oh, okay. on Nicholson Street that are they basically forced everyone out already. Um, I gather there were some genuine uh, maintenance issues on the, on at least one of those estates, but yeah, some people were trying to resist leaving. Um, we didn't really know about that, yeah. um, so there's no one in those two estates, so we probably can't save those two. But the two, the three that are next on the chopping block um, are 120 Racecourse Road, 12 Holland Court and 33 Alfred Street in North Melbourne. So the, those three estates are the estates that we're really particularly concerned about. We're concerned about all of the estates, yeah. but these three um, people are being bullied into accepting relocation and having a lot of pressure put on them by home oh, Victoria so staff. Outrageous. Yeah. yeah. So what, my, I guess my next question, what, what are the feelings of the tenants? Like, yeah, what, what, what's your sense of how they're feeling or is there, like, been a lot of communication? How's that going, like, the consultation with tenants? Well, I think, you know, there will be a mix. Um, but what we had at the Flemington Estate is a meeting of about 70 tenants. And at the end of that meeting, people passed the motion unanimously saying that they want to oppose the demolition of the estate and save their homes. So I think that was pretty clear that people who were at that meeting wanted to stay and want to keep their homes and want to fight for that. Um, But also, you know, people are feeling pressured. They're already being visited by Homes Victoria staff. They're visited individually, often by themselves. I'm so glad you mentioned that. really under pressure. Sorry, so yeah, I'm just so glad you mentioned that. How how are people feeling about this whole their their communication with the state government? Because they they were from our conversations, we did a couple of um, vox pops with people in Collingwood. They had a note passed underneath their door 24 hours before the announcement. It seems really disrespectful and actually uh, uh, offensive. So how, how are people like tenants feeling about their communication with Homes Victoria? I think people. I think people are feeling very rattled about it all and feeling uncertain about their future. Um, So I think it's really appalling. And we've been through this before with the public public housing renewal project, which is I was involved in that campaign to stop the relocation of and demolition of um, the three-storey walk-ups in 11 estates. Um, It was sort of that happened... 2017-18 and you know that was really and and 2019 that was really awful as well so yeah people do feel you know people some people are frightened like there's a mix of responses some people just think stuff you I'm going to fight other people feel frightened other people want to stay but they feel that there's no alternative but to accept whatever 
they're the, told. It must um, be terrifying. Some, yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, I can imagine how ter- like losing the possible losing of your, your your home. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what the government doesn't want the broader community to think about is the fact that these are people's homes. Some people have made their homes really beautiful. Yeah. Um, people might have lived there for decades, and actually to move an elderly person, especially an elderly person who might not speak a lot of English, out of their home that they've lived in for decades to a brand new area, maybe well away from any kind of public services. And it's it actually, you can destroy someone's life yeah. because it's harder for old people to make new memories. Yeah. And so it's sometimes people go downhill really fast um, it's better for elderly people to age in their homes in place. Yeah. And also for other people, like, there's no guarantee people will be allowed back after the homes, after the flats are demolished. And is, it, is there any support? I was, that was my, actually, I, there were two things I wanted to ask you. What's the history of relocation? Like, what's the, the government's track record on that? And is there support for tenants that are, like, is there any support provided for tenants that might be struggling emotionally with this? Like, I can't, they must be having a really difficult time. So, on the second question, yeah. I'm not sure if they, I don't get the impression there's any support provided to tenants who are struggling emotionally. Um, Maybe there is that I'm not aware of, but I'm not aware of anything. I think it's really just whatever support people's friends. If you've got friends and a community in the estates, you're more likely to get support there. Um, But on the question of the history of relocation, I'm aware of uh, some Sudanese families who relocated either during or just after COVID, and they're attracted by the offer of, you know, fairly new, sort of nice sort of dwellings, but way away, way past Tarnit, way past Taylor's Lakes and Truganina, um, and they've now ended up in an area where there's no bulk billing doctors. Oh, wow. where, so they moved from Flemington where they've got all of these services and a community health centre with bulk billing and so forth. And they've ended up in an area where there's no bulk billing. And I met another woman the other day who's been, who is now living in Cranbourne and is really missing her community. Yeah. And um, yeah, so they're, And she wants to come back. So there are a number of people who've accepted relocation and probably haven't thought about the isolation factor when they relocate. But being relocated away from your community is a bigger thing than a lot of people realise. Yeah, well, that's... that's, Look, the good thing is that people are getting together. So Saturday, what time? Saturday, one p.m. at the State Library, and and also yeah. Uh, so what's and also what's happened at um, Maribyrnong Council? They rescind. They made a motion to um, for for peace and justice um, in Palestine, and what, what's it's been rescinded. So what's happened, and what does rescinding a motion mean? Yeah, and and why do they rescind? Have they rescinded motions in the past? Has it happened before? Yeah, well, actually, you're talking about something very interesting about the pressure being put on a whole lot of councils now yeah. about moving emotion support of Palestine. So 
I mean, it is possible, it is part of normal meeting procedure that people can rescind a motion that's been passed, like maybe you've changed your mind or come across new information or whatever, but also you can do it because you're a bureaucrat and want to manipulate meeting procedure. Yes. But um, So it is allowable. And um, I gather Maribyrnong, along with the Maribyrnong Council, has had a number of rescission motions in recent times. And um, so in Maribyrnong, I think the vote in support of a pro-Palestine motion was four to three, uh, four people voting in favour, three against. And one of the four who voted in favour, I, I believe he's an ALP councillor, um, is, um, is the one who moved the motion to rescind uh, to, uh, to rescind the motion. So um, that will get voted on next uh, next Tuesday night, the 12th of um, 12th of November, uh, December, um, and that'll also be the same night that a councillor in Yarra who's being bullied to uh, withdraw her pro-Palestine motion is also putting up a motion as well. Right, so like, do, like local politics, you know, like machine politics at the local level. Yeah, so that's what... So we don't know if the motion will stand, but, I mean, they need four votes to win the motion. Um, so I don't know if any of the people who previously voted against might consider voting for. But there is now starting to be a real... Um, pressure from the community because of how extreme the genocide is. Yeah. So their count and this is um, where councils have passed motions, it's standing against what the government and the Liberal Party opposition and the establishment want. And so Dandenong now has passed a motion as well as Meribek and Victoria and Maribyrnong, although Maribyrnong is, you know, might might be uh, with might be voted down at the next council meeting. Yarra Council, the um, council putting this, her name is Anab Muhammad, is putting up a motion, but other councils are trying to bully her into withdrawing it or watering it down. Dandenong, sorry, Broadmeadow, a Hume Council, um, there's going to be a community rally on Monday the 18th at 6pm outside the council meeting. Um, where I think a motion is going to be moved there um, and people, especially in the Muslim community, are contacting people. Um, Wyndham Council pressure is being put on for a motion there. We're not sure about um, whether any council will be prepared to move a motion. And in Geelong Council, Sarah Hathaway, who's a member of Socialist Alliance along with me, she tried to put a motion for Palestine on the agenda and the CEO ruled it out of order and wouldn't accept the motion. So um, in, in, in that case, what what are the other councillors doing? What's happening with the other councillors? Like, are they saying, what are, you, are they bringing that to people's attention? Can, well, can... in um, Geelong, one other councillor was prepared to second the motion and was supportive of Sarah, but not, not as strongly. And so when the CEO ruled it out, I mean, Sarah had an argument with the CEO. Then I think she criticised the CEO for refusing to accept the motion in the media. And then she was hauled in for a disciplinary 
um, procedure for criticising the council in the media. Oh, yeah. So it's sort of very undemocratic. Um, so sure, sure they're, they're is. Going to yeah. have another crack because yeah. I think even where um, people haven't been able to move motions, like th- this current round of meetings is the, la- the last meetings for the year. Next meetings won't happen until February. But I think, like, when the bombing eventually stops, Gaza is going to be a disaster zone. Um, we will still need motions yeah. because Israel intends to keep a blockade. They intend to keep bombing for another two months. They intend to set up some form of police state and they also intend to take over West Bank. So we've still got a job to do. It's not just a ceasefire lifting the siege. And I think all of these debates on the local councils, I think it's really good that the Muslim community is mobilising their community to try and push for motions um, because it all puts extra pressure on the Australian government to withdraw their support for okay. this genocide. Th- look, thanks so much, Sue. Thanks for your time. So where can people, if they want to find out more about the rally, It's is there a, like a site? Yeah, they can go. You can go on the Safe Public Housing Collective website, yeah. Facebook page, Instagram. So just search for... Save Public Housing Collective. Okay. On Facebook, it is the the Save Public Housing Collective. Okay. Not sure of the history of that. That's um, okay. So it might be either Save Public Housing Collective or the Save Public Housing Collective okay. on website and, and Instagram, right. etc. Thanks yep. so much, Sue. No worries. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Sue Bolton, who is a uh, is a councillor for Mary Beck, a Socialist Alliance councillor for Mary Beck, and uh, who spoke about the uh, protest on Saturday to stop the demolition of the 44 high-rise towers, as well as gave us a little bit of insight into how councils make decisions in the context of Maribyrnong Council's decision to rescind its motion for peace and justice in Palestine. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs flyer on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favourite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. And we are back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Inez, take it away. Yes, and now we have a very special interview with Dr. Lena Goliath, a Palestinian-Lebanese activist and academic at the Australian National University, who is here to chat about the Institute of Postcolonial Studies, which has been a cultural and educational hub here in Nam for over 25 years. And Lena will talk about the importance of the space and what solidarity means to them. Welcome, Lena. 
Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Priya. <laughs> Good morning. I was wondering if we could start off with what the Institute of Postcolonial Studies is. Great. Um, the Institute of Postcolonial Studies, uh, which is also called IPCS, is an independent uh, public education project. Um, uh, it is. Uh, it was created to interrogate colonial relations and their consequences in Australia and globally. Um, it was established as a project in exile from the neoliberal university. The institute sought to challenge the academic academia's hierarchical and corporate ways of setting up uh, an autonomous, uh, by setting up an autonomous um, member-based organization. I think that gives a really great rundown of what it is and kind of the different projects. I was wondering if we could talk about the different programs that it has offered, because I know it's been a, yeah such a hub, a range of projects and uh, meeting points. So yeah, what kind of does IPCS look like day to day? Yeah, so IPCS uh, is located uh, in 80 Carson Street in North Melbourne in NAM, um, and it includes the building includes offices, a library, um, tenants, uh, residential rooms where academic fellows usually reside in, seminar rooms, um, a garden. Uh, so it's a beautiful public space for community um, to conduct academic and activist um, uh, scholarly space for art, for education. Um, the, the IPCS also runs a journal, um, the Journal of Postcolonial Studies, um, which is an eight-star journal that has been, um, you know, one of the best journal in, in postcolonial studies, which we are being told now that the journal has been gifted by the board um, somewhere else in, in the university in Britain, which is very disappointing Um to be sending that journal of postcolonial studies back to the to the heart of the colony in some way. Definitely disappointing, and to know that there has been so much work, you know, love and passion put into this place. And as you're talking, I think I'm thinking about what this place represents. You know, how important is it to have First Nations and POC people of color leadership in a place that is, you know, advocating for postcolonial studies, has a long track history of yeah engaging in that work. So, why do you think it's important to have such representative leadership? The space itself is very important. It is very important for us to have spaces outside of academia um, that are hubs for ideas, for creative ideas, but also for connecting with community. Um, and, yeah, what, we, what we've been asking for in our campaign is just for IPCS to be um, accountable, to be transparent. Um, we, we've been asking for the board and the leadership to be democratically elected rather than just appointed. Um, it is very important that um, the board and the leadership of IPCS to be representative of the community of where um, of the land where IPCS is sitting on and the community that IPCS is in in general. Yeah, absolutely. I think the point that you mentioned about it being a space where you can connect that is also outside of academia is really important. Also to connect like theory and practice and make sure yeah, that we... I'm just sitting alone in a room, <laughs> uh, in a desk. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to also ask, what does 
I guess, solidarity look like within the space, yeah, outside of that? The solidarity with the IPCS campaign specifically to save IPCS is basically just to save the institute um, as a hub for public education that is for the community that sits outside the neoliberal university. Um, we we ask community to stand uh, by us to save the institute, uh, to st- to save the location because it is very it has been for the last 25 years uh, a vibrant hub for community, for activists, scholars, artists, um, to create new projects, to connect their academic work with um, communities around the area. Um, So solidarity means let's stand together to keep that resource within our community because it is very badly needed. It is very badly needed. It's also, as you mentioned, such a vibrant hub. Even when you're talking, I can, you know, hear that there has been a lot of stories and probably like tea and coffee shared and lots of ideas. Having a space like that is absolutely vital outside of academia. And Lena, for our last question, how can we support saving the IPCS and with the meeting later today at 7pm online? So we ask everyone uh, to join our social media campaign Follow us on um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram with the Safe IPCS hashtag. Uh, we are having a meeting today, as you mentioned, at 7 p.m. on Zoom. It's an open public meeting. We just want to update the community on where everything is at and, and what's been happening. We, we just want you to tell everyone what's going on um, so we are able to stand together um, to fight the closing down of the Institute. It is an important project. It has been a vibrant and important project for a lot of us um, and it needs to continue that uh, for the community and for everyone around. To stand in solidarity, bring in big numbers and yeah, just also update what is happening. I think that's a really important point to leave on. Was there anything else that you would like to mention about IPCS um, or the meeting today? I just want to say um, the the project of postcolonial studies is a very important project and it's very important to have these conversations on the lands where we are at the moment. Um, it is vital not only because of the space and what it offers, but also because the project itself is anti-colonial. Um, so we need to stand together to have spaces that are quite uh, honestly, there's not much of that where mm-hmm. we can discuss and be creative about what what colonialism has meant in the present, in the future, in Australia and globally, but also how can we work together um, in an anti-colonial struggle um, in these spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Working together against an anti-colonial struggle, I think that's a really meaningful, important, impactful way to end today's interview. But thank you so much, Dr. Leader, for coming on the show today. Thank you for your support of 3CR. Thank you. Thank you. See you all today at 7pm. No worries. Thank you. And that was Dr. Lena Koliath, who is a Lebanese and Palestinian activist and academic at Australian National University. And they joined us today to talk about the Institute of Postcolonial Studies, which has been a cultural and educational hub in Nam for over 25 years. And they spoke about the importance of the space and what solidarity means. And there is an open meeting that is happening tonight on Zoom on Thursday the 7th of December at 7pm to 8pm. And you can follow them on Instagram for the link at Save Postcolonial Studies as well. Thank you so much.
3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. And we are back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And um, yeah, I just wanted to let you know, we were meant to be joined by Senator Lydia Thorpe, who was generously going to be sharing some of her time with us this morning. But unfortunately, uh, she's now not able to come on. Um, I understand she must be extremely busy considering all of the incredible work that she's doing as an independent senator um, to you know, forward Indigenous sovereignty in Parliament. And what we were going to be talking about was her push in Parliament to implement the United Nations. Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples or UNDRIP in Australian legislation. Now, this effort was ultimately undermined in yesterday's majority vote against her private members bill by Labor and coalition parliamentarians. And this decision came in the wake of the Joint Standing Committee on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Affairs publication of its report on the inquiry into the implementation of UNDRIP in Australia in late November. Now, Senator Thorpe is a Gunai, Gunachamara and Jabarong woman, grandmother, activist and politician. She's the first Aboriginal senator from Victoria. And what we're going to play for you now is her speech in Parliament uh, yesterday after the government and coalition joined forces to vote down her bill on legislating UNDRIP. Well, it is another day in the colony. This is Australia, everybody. This is a government, the so-called progressive Labor government, that waves the Aboriginal flag, wears the Aboriginal earrings, says that they're our friends, yet deny the rights of Indigenous people in this country. To vote down the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People is an absolute disgrace. And you should all hold your head in shame, Labor. I'm surprised your uh, Indigenous representatives aren't in the chamber to participate in this discussion. It shows that there's a real shame factor going on in your party. The fact that Senator Dodson's legacy in all the contributions he's made whilst he's been here, you did not even have the decency or the respect to give Senator Dodson a legacy that we can never forget. And that is a legacy of giving us rights in this country. We haven't had rights since the boats arrived 250 years ago. The colonial project is, is only about taking away those rights so that you can rape and pillage our country, our water, our women, our babies, our men, 
550 deaths in custody. Over 20,000 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children not living with their families because your government continues the ongoing genocide against First Peoples in this country. You railroaded this inquiry and you railroaded this bill. You hijacked it for your failed voice, which, may I remind you, had no free prior and informed consent and it wasn't self-determined by the people. It was self-determined by John Howard and the Liberal Party way back when. So don't pretend that you're doing us a favour, Labor. You are complicit in the ongoing genocide by not implementing the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody, by not implementing the recommendations from the Bringing Them Home report, where numbers are still skyrocketing in every community in this country. And yeah, there are blackfellas everywhere in this country, everywhere, even down south you might find us. You didn't wipe us out completely. We survived the massacres, the murders, the rapes. And I'm living proof of that. And I'm so glad I've got five years left in this place because I'm going to make your job hell for the next five years. I will not stop until we get justice in this country for First People. I'm not here to make friends, let's face it. It's a colonial project. You'll bow to the Queen and bow to the King and bow to everybody in here and follow the processes of the colonial institution. Yes, I'm a part of this, but I'm only here to rattle and shake every one of you into understanding that you are complicit in genocide and the genocide continues in the most sophisticated way in 2023. The minister's speech was a beautiful example of that, the ongoing genocide, the ongoing denial, the ongoing let's pat the little black fella on the head and give him, you know, give him some money for their health service to shut that mob up. Well, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. The Black Sovereign Movement don't subscribe to that. Elders across this country don't subscribe to that. Yet you wheeled around your little power wand and your money train to our people. You suck them in. And then at the end of the day, <laughs> you come to the chamber and deny our rights. And Where's the blackfellas in this place? Where's all the black people supporting the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People? Like, is it not safe for our people to be in this chamber today because the Labor government have decided to not support our rights in this country? 
You talked about Kevin Rudd, Minister. Deadly Rudd, deadly apology. Why has it increased? Why has child removal increased since the apology? Why is it out of control right now? Why are we still dying younger? Why are black women like me still dying younger in this country, in our own country? You're not closing the gap. Labor, all you are good for is smoothing the dying pillow. It's all you're good for. Just keep the blacks happy while we slowly continue the legacy of the colonial project. Wipe them out. Keep them sick. Don't give them any rights to be able to self-determine their own destiny. If we keep smoothing that dying pillow, one day we won't have to worry about them anymore. You say you uphold the principles, Minister. Where's free, pride, informed consent? As Senator Shoebridge points out, the Beedaloo Basin. Why do you just listen to some traditional owners and not others? Why are you handpicking the blackfellas to talk to and the blackfellas not to talk to? Who's your advisors? Because <clears throat> you're getting bad advice and you're hurting our people. You're denying our rights. It's been 15 years since your deadly Prime Minister Rudd said sorry. Got 20,000 kids in out-of-home care. 15 years. What have you done with UNDRIP? Come to the chamber today. Merry Christmas, blackfellas out there. You think that we're going to let you go get away with this? When you have your own ministers giving money to the police and the prisons and not the people to self-determine what, what are the solutions in their own communities, you're giving money to the police to be tougher on crime, particularly on young people in the Northern Territory. <laughs> you're a joke. You're a joke. You talk about legal services, Minister. They're struggling. They're, they're underfunded. Yes, you might have given them some small change. You get more money from your donors than what you give to the legal services. But that's how, you know, good luck sleeping with that at night. Obviously your pay packet's more important and your power is more important than the rights to our people. I'm going to uh, read a quote from Professor Chelsea Wadigo, a Mananjali Yugambe woman and executive director of the Karumba Institute of Queensland University of Technology. When we speak of Indigenous rights, we are speaking about Indigenous lives. You awake over there or what? 
It is a call for a rethink of Indigenous affairs, away from the needs-based approach which operates as a self-fulfilling prophecy, keeping us trapped on the mouse wheel of misery. It is what keeps our kids in out-of-home care, kicks our kids out of schools, places our people in prisons, and leaves us grieving at grave sites for lives lost well before their time. Enshrining UNDRIP into Australian law would have been a way of getting us off this miserable road to nowhere and realise real progress for our people. The continued denial of our rights by those who have the most to gain reflects a steadfast commitment to the continuing violence of settler colonialism and absolute indifference to Indigenous lives and lands. And another quote from a countryman of mine, Gunai Kurnai Wachabolic man and journalist and writer Benjamin Abitangelo. If the Albanese government had a modicon of decency, then it would have enthusiastically supported Senator Thorpe's bill, which is not only a bare minimum and uncontroversial piece of legislation that other comparable nations have already enshrined, but a logical next step in the wake of a failed referendum. Over the last 18 months, Labor ministers have written countless columns and used in innumerable domestic and international press conferences, question time, Senate estimates, television and radio interviews. Remember all that? Remember 12 months? Like, the pain in your ears of the Labor government saying how great they are with the relationship of blackfellas in this country sports and cultural events to, to prosecute the urgent need to address Indigenous marginalisation. Senator Thorpe's bill provides the government with an actionable and familiar framework that would not only radically improve our lives, but address the very marginalisation that they said can no longer be ignored. After spending almost two decades delaying the implementation of UNDRIP, which has culminated in the rejection of this bill, the government should be removed as a signatory. Well, there you have it. There's a couple of voices for you. I thought, you know, I know our people have a, a, a love or a little love for Labor because of Gough Whitlam, not because of Kevin Rudd or a a Albanese or any of the others, because of a great man way back when I was a kid. Well, he'd be rolling in his grave if he saw what was going on today, denying our rights. It's a sad day when you get a so-called progressive government denying the rights 
of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in this country. It is another day in the colony and what you're seeing in Palestine right now is what happened to us 250 years ago. But this, the genocide still happens here. Every day in this chamber, I don't know how many ministers I've had to negotiate with in, in the last fortnight to get self-determination into the legislation, to get free prior informed consent into the legislation. I'm sick of begging your ministers for our rights. When are you going to stand up and truly be our friends and ensure that we have rights in this country? And that was Senator Lydia Thorpe, independent senator for Victoria, Gunai Gunachamara and Jaburong, sovereign mother, grandmother, activist and politician, speaking in Parliament yesterday in the wake of the majority vote uh, where Labour and coalition parliamentarians banded together to vote against her private member's bill, uh, which was uh, seeking to enshrine the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples in Australian legislation. And what you just heard there as well, that quote that she uh, she read out from Benjamin Abitangelo about Australia's um, unworthiness to be a signatory to UNDRIP, to be a party to UNDRIP in the international arena should really be sitting heavy with all of us, um, considering uh, considering what the Labor government had been saying in the lead up to the failed referendum. Now, we've got time for a quick rundown of what we've covered today. So, Spike, do you want to kick it off by briefly letting us know about your two interviews? Yeah. So, yeah, initially we had the first, the third part of a three-part conversation with Ian McIntyre from the Social Change Library. Uh, and then we spoke to Socialist Alliance Councillor for Mary Beck, Sue Bolton, who told us about the Stop the Demolition of the 44 High Rise Towers National Day of Action in Nam this weekend. And she also discussed the rescinding of the motion for peace and justice in Palestine by the, by the Maribyrnong Local Council. Yeah, and just quickly, that Save Public Housing Collective National Day of Action uh, is going to be a rally at 1 p.m. on Saturday, the 9th of, Victor- uh, 9th of December at the Victorian State Library. And then we... Oh, sorry. Um, and then we spoke to Dr. Lita Goliath, who is a Palestinian and Lebanese activist and academic at ANU about saving the Institute of Postcolonial Studies, how it's a cultural educational hub uh, and what solidarity means. Now, the appointment, uh, the meeting is today at 7 p.m. And you can go to Instagram, Save Postcolonial Studies or Twitter, Save, Pol- Save Postcolonial Studies as well. Amazing. And finally, as you just heard, uh, we heard... Uh, Independent Senator and Gunai Gunachamara and Japarong woman uh, Lydia Thorpe speaking in Parliament yesterday, um, talking about her push to implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples in law and its ultimate undermining yesterday by the vote against by Labour and coalition parliamentarians. Uh, once again, an absolute shame and an indictment on this country for failing to um, to do the bare minimum uh, to try and uh in in the words i guess of so many parliamentarians close the gap 
Um, now we're gonna have oh, to we're shy. gonna have to yeah wrap up for today, but we will catch you next week on Thursday breakfast. Now please don't forget to continue heading to the Sunday rallies for Palestine. There are actions that continue to happen by Free Palestine, Melbourne, and APAN, and uh, to tonight's meeting um, for the Institute of Postcolonial Studies. We'll catch you next week on Thursday breakfast. See you guys. Bye. Three CR breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop. Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.